We're often told in order to get the best return on investment when buying property that we should buy the more expensive suburbs, the more premium suburbs, with the idea being that people in these suburbs maybe have more money and so, I don't know, property is going to grow faster. But what about cheap suburbs? People often think, okay, they're cheap for a reason and they're probably going to stay cheap. But is that actually true? Do cheap suburbs underperform compared to more expensive suburbs? Or is the opposite actually true? So today I have with me Jeremy Shepard from Select Residential Property to actually look through the data and to say, should we be investing in the more expensive suburbs or should we be investing in the cheaper suburbs? So, hey, Jeremy, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and this one is really close to home at the moment because I have saved my deposit. I'm looking to <laughs> invest in the next few months, three to six months. And looking at different options in South Brisbane for me, but there's the cheaper suburbs, you know, kind of around $350,000 that I can get into with a lower deposit, or there's more expensive suburbs looking at four hundred and fifty dollars to five hundred and fifty. dollars where obviously I need a bigger deposit. And so I'm kind of umming and ahhing between the two. So it'll be interesting to go through this and to see, okay, what could be better? Yeah, well, um, first of all, they don't underperform. So they're cheap for a reason is true. They are cheaper because they don't have all the nice things that the expensive suburbs have. But that doesn't mean that they underperform. Just being expensive doesn't mean that you've had better capital growth. And I think that there's this mistake, uh, mistaken belief that, if a suburb is expensive, uh, how did it get there? Maybe it had better capital growth, but it's always been more expensive. And there's this correlation between uh, proximity to the CBD and higher prices for suburbs. Closer you go to the CBD in the ma major capitals, the more expensive the, the suburbs get. But they've always been like that. They've always been more expensive. And as property investors, we're not interested in whether our property is is um is cheap or expensive, but whether it has the capital growth, that's the that's what exactly. we're after. And exactly and right, because let's say I'm going to invest a million dollars over the next couple of years into property or buying a million dollars worth of property. I could buy three for around you know three hundred thirty thousand dollars each, or buy two for five hundred thousand, or one for a million. Mm -hmm. But what I care at the end of the day is how much do they go up in value. I don't care about the individual property price. And that's right. You know, yeah. I think one of the best videos we've done together is whether or not proximity to the CBD does correlate to higher capital growth. And the difference there was very small and not as much as the experts say. So I'll link up to that one down below. But let's jump into the data here sure. for cheap markets versus expensive markets and talk us through some of the analysis that you've done so we can get an idea of which does perform better. Yeah, so this, this table that you can see here was an analysis of uh, cheaper markets versus more expensive. So what I did is at a start date, I split the entire nation up into two groups. You are either uh, had a suburb below the median or above the median. That's the cheaper or dearer columns. So is and this then the I median of Australia as a whole? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then looking no. at every suburb um, over whether it's three years growth, you can see there in the far left column, three no. years, four years, five, 10 or 20. And uh, in every one of those cases... It was actually the cheaper market that, that outperformed. But you'll notice that after 20 years, there's very little difference. So the capital growth rates are 7.3% versus 7.1%, which means yeah, we, effectively you can see for the three-year period, cheaper suburbs grow at 9.1%, whereas dearer suburbs are 6.7%. So there's a big difference there of around you know two and a half, three percent And then once you get to 20 years, the difference is just 0.2%. 
Yeah, and and you know, there's errors involved in this sort of measurement, so that could effectively be the same. And yeah. you see this as people uh, are trying to get into the property market; they're looking for cheaper alternatives. If they've been priced out of one market, they're looking for a cheaper alternative. So it makes sense that the demand's going to flow away from too expensive and towards cheaper alternatives. Yeah. But over about 20 years, well, it's just going to even out and it gets more more and more even the longer the, the time frame is. Well, that's it. In a future video, we're going to talk about short-term investing versus long-term investing and how you know it tends to be that most markets perform exactly the same over the long term when it comes to property. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a startling uh, insight, really, because everyone's sort of jostling to try and eke out the maximum. But if you're holding long term, probably doesn't matter so much. Rather that you just get in early. Yeah. It doesn't anyway, matter I, as, I yeah, as much I had a look at think. this. <laughs> yes, exactly. I had a a look at this through um, some uh, different different angles, having a look at it from different angles. Well, that's so it because I think looking at Australia as a whole, you're going to have Sydney and Melbourne. Just in general, the majority of those suburbs, I can imagine, would be mm. above the median for Australia. That's right. You know, yeah. versus other smaller regional towns and things like that. Yeah. So uh, in this chart, I've actually split it up into uh, areas. So the cheaper suburbs within uh, the, the same area as more expensive suburbs in the same area. And that area is called an SA4. It's it's uh, from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. It stands for Statistical Area Level 4. Um, okay. So they just split the country up into all these, these different areas. So it's, a, it's commonly referred to as a perhaps a, a region. So you might have, um, I don't know how many Sydney has, it might have, say, a dozen of these SA4s. I think there, there are only about 90 SA4s around the entire country. Okay. Um, and it's based on population. So they're trying to make each one of these SA4 regions uh, large enough to encompass the same number of, of people. Okay. Anyway, so could the, this be kind of like southern Sydney, inner west, CBD, western Sydney, right. northern beaches, those yes. sort of areas? Yeah, northern beaches is one of the, the SA4s. Okay. So it, it will include a large number of suburbs. So this is bigger than a local government area. Yeah, And as you can see from the numbers there, uh, even when you are just looking at su cheap suburbs in the same SA4 as expensive suburbs, over three, four, five, 10, 20 years, uh, it's still the cheaper suburbs that seem to, to outperform. And again, this is probably due to people looking for cheaper alternatives in their local area. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I've, I've done the same thing uh, drilling down to SA3, which is roughly equivalent to a local government area. It's smaller than an SA4. Okay. Uh, and you get a similar sort of story. This is like a local council area sort of thing. Yes, yes. But then you get like um, a, a council, a mega council like Brisbane. Uh, okay, yeah. Brisbane has just one council. So um, the Australian Bureau of Statistics is trying to keep things uh, a little bit more uniform, but not by geography size, by population, you meant the okay. number of people. So yeah. how many but suburbs would an SA3 likely encapsulate? Or is it hard it, to it tell? It could have, say, say, a dozen. And, it, yeah, it doesn't, it's hard to tell because uh, if it's sort of regional markets, rural markets, you may have a very sparse population, maybe a massive geography, including an enormous number of suburbs or localities, uh, and, and that just has enough population to comprise one SA3. But then... In Sydney or Melbourne, you might have an SA3 that's 
that's only over, say, um, uh, you know, 10, 15 square kilometres because uh, the density of population is, is so high. Okay. So it's it's more based on on population. So it it might not have you might not have as many suburbs in one SA three as another, but the same theme um, comes out in the data as you can see there. Uh, so we're really struggling now to find a case where uh, cheaper is actually underperforming. Yeah. And, so first uh, you went Australia as a whole. The cheaper suburbs in Australia as a whole did they perform better than the more expensive suburbs in Australia? The answer was yes. They do. Then we went down to, you know, those SA4 kind of regional areas, cheaper suburbs still outperformed. Now we've gone down to even smaller SA3 areas and the cheaper are still outperforming. So it's like no matter how you spin it, how large or small you're shrinking your sample size, the same sort of thing tends to be true. That's right. And and this is just a slightly different approach. Uh, Instead of splitting them into two groups, I split them into four. So those are quartiles. The cheapest quartile, a cheaper quartile. Then you've got the median, a dearer quartile, and then the dearest quartile. So a quartile is twenty five percent of the of the sample size. Yeah. So so what, we've got a bunch what, of. What I'm finding really interesting here is that usually you'd think like some sort of anomaly in the data, like maybe cheaper would outperform cheapest, like at at one certain you know three years, four years, five years, ten or twenty, or maybe the dearer would outperform. You know, I would expect I wouldn't expect it to just go from Cheapest performing the best, then cheaper, then dearer, then dearest. I'd expect like one yeah. in the middle to kind of switch. That's right. Yeah, and and there may be um, something in this in in how the capital growth has been calculated. Let's say you've got a suburb uh, for whatever reason, it just has a median um, for that particular month, which is the start of the growth period, that is abnormally low. So the median, of course, is just the middle price out of a list of properties that sell in a in a particular month. Now what happens is you rarely get a significant portion of a suburb selling in a month. You probably get something like roughly 1%. Now 1% is not representative of the value of all properties in that suburb. It could actually just be for that particular month uh, the cheaper side of the tracks. And for the the end of the growth period, it could have been the the opposite, that you're getting expensive properties that are selling within the same suburb. So you can get these sort of anomalies. And when I'm trying to find these cheaper suburbs, maybe it was a bunch of those suburbs, which at that particular point in time, all happened to have this, this anomaly. So you will get some of the suburbs that aren't really that cheap dropping into the the cheaper groups and then at the end it's back to normal and so it looks like they've had better capital growth so there could be some particular case of bias uh, in these calculations but the thing is you're doing the national property market here right this is all of australia correct yeah well yes this one yeah but then the opposite could also be true right a suburb could be overinflated in the statistics because more expensive um, properties sold in that month that you collected the data and then, oh, the capital growth would be worse. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. see what so you're saying could, now. It took me a second yeah. to click. <laughs> yeah, but but still, um, the fact that so much of these suburbs are analysed in lots of different ways and that we're still seeing um, a, a, a pretty clear trend, there would have to be a significant number of these anomalies in order to reverse that. Yeah, uh, or even just balance things out. So it's it's still compelling a compelling argument. 
Um, and, and what I've done to try and um, smooth things out or, or perhaps pursue some of these anomalies is I've weeded out the regional suburbs. So we're just now looking at those, the big four cities of Sydney, Melbourne, uh, Brisbane and Perth. And again, it's, it's a similar sort of trend. Uh, and then what I tried to do was exclude any suburbs where that median anomaly that I was talking about is, is more likely to occur. So um, I call those suburbs thinly traded suburbs. So um, you might only have a couple of sales and that's more likely to, to result in this median anomaly. So instead, I started looking for larger suburbs where there were at least um, a thousand dwellings and a decent number of sales. So you can see there that, that I'm setting the minimum to 120 sales over the year. So that's 10 a month. Uh, it's a lot more reliable. And you can see that we've still got pretty much uh, the same uh, story being told. We saw and the same I... trend where cheapest always outperforms cheaper, which always outperforms dearer, which always outperforms dearest. And there's no counter example in here over any of the time periods where a more expensive one outperforms a cheaper one. Yeah. So maybe maybe those are too, too large, those groups of only four. So here I split it up into 10 groups. Each one's called a decile. Um, and you might find a case, is there a case here, can you see, where there was uh, a capital growth period? Okay, there's yeah, one at 20, yeah. at 20 years between D5 and D6. Um, right, yes. That, that's only one. Yep. I, oh, <laughs> one and the case. same in 28 years as well. Yes, yeah. So the longer the period, it looks like uh, it's balancing out more, which makes sense. But, but you're still looking at the difference trend. there, 0.1%. <laughs> it's yeah, not, that's right. Yeah. It's not like there's a huge difference here. Yeah. So I guess the, the whole point is that uh, cheap markets are not the poor cousins of the expensive ones. What we're interested as investors is in, we want capital growth. And uh, just being expensive doesn't mean that you have necessarily more expensive, uh, uh, sorry, better capital growth. Yeah. And also in this article, it talked about yields versus price oh, of the okay. There's more as well. Actually, there's there's a good chart showing the breakdown over the different years. So each one of those coloured lines is a different period of growth. Yeah. And and you can see that they do sort of follow this downward trend, sloping down to the, from left to right. And you've got the deciles of the cheaper suburbs on the left. Decile number ten is the more expensive on the right, and so. Yeah, that's, that shows that trend. It's a pretty clear trend there, right? It's yeah. all kind of following the same process, like the same slant as well. Okay, so you're talking about, um, oh, there. Okay, so then I started looking at longer periods. So this data dates back to 1974. It's only available from the, I could only get it for value general from Victoria. And you can see that there's not a lot in it. Um, it's pretty much uh, even. So it doesn't really matter whether you pick a cheap suburb or an expensive one. Uh, they're going to have roughly the same sort of capital growth. And that was over. Yeah, so this is 40 a 40 years. year period here. Mm. And I guess at, at least it debunks the myth that expensive suburbs outperform cheaper suburbs. Mm. Like yeah, there's no real right. data that I can see that actually supports that. Yeah, yeah. It's getting hard to, to try and support that, that theory. And it makes you wonder, well, where did this come from in the first place? Well, so I think, I think the only time that I could think of where it may outperform, like more expensive suburbs may outperform, is during an extreme boom in an area where we see higher fluctuations 
in the most expensive types of properties. But then you also yeah. tend to see the highest declines in the most expensive properties when a market goes through a correction. So yeah, that's right. I could yeah. see more expensive properties outperforming cheaper ones during that you know hype phase, very, very hot market. Potentially that could be a case, but I think generally yeah, over the yeah. longer term, yeah, it doesn't seem to be yeah, true. Yeah, over the long term doesn't doesn't matter so much. I'm uh, not sure what else I had in here, um, whether there's any more data. Oh, yes. So this was the one you were talking about. Uh, yeah, well, this was this was what I was um, asking you about when we're talking about positive cash flow or yield versus capital growth and saying, you know, because so many people say that, well, if you're going for capital growth, you're going to miss out on, you know, if you're going for the yield and the cap, the cash flow, sorry, you're going to miss out on the capital growth. And then I saw this graph, which is showing that, well, the cheaper suburbs, which we've already established, tend to perform better than the more expensive ones, or at least the same over the long term. The cheaper suburbs have higher yields. So it seems it seems to me, looking at this data, you've got higher yields and higher growth in in cheaper suburbs. In yeah, cheaper suburbs. And there are a couple of other things too that um, perhaps aren't performance related. Like, um, let's say you've got a portfolio. You were saying before you've got a million dollars to invest. Do you buy one million dollar property, two five hundred thousand, or three at three hundred thirty-three? And if you do have a portfolio of of cheaper properties, and you're in a position where, for whatever reason, you need to sell, you can sell one of those three hundred thirty-three thousand dollar properties. But if it's a million dollars you've got wrapped up, uh, you can't sell part of that property. The whole thing has to go. So yeah. you've got greater flexibility if you if you aim cheaper. You get the higher yield generally. You're also actually pay, paying lower stamp duty because stamp duty is bracketed. And there's another thing you can do. You can reduce your capital gains tax. Let's say uh, you did have to sell all $1 million of your portfolio. You could perhaps sell, um, let's say you've got two $500,000 properties. You sell one on June 30th of this year, and then you sell the other on um, July 1st, the day after. And because they're in two different financial years, uh, you're paying less capital gains tax because there's less of that capital gain in each of those financial years. So it makes sense for a number of reasons to actually aim cheap than, than aim high. And also as well, I can imagine looking, thinking about my own portfolio is that, you know, I've been through hard times in my life and business downturns and things like that. If I own multiple cheaper properties and I do get some growth over the years and then come on hard times, if I have to, sell one because of my financial situation to maybe pay off some debt or get better cash flow. I could sell one and use the capital gains that I've gotten over the years in order to pay down debt on the other ones. Whereas if I Mm. just own that one $1 million property, I can't sell part of it and keep part of it. I've got to sell all of it. And if that bad time in my life lines up with a bad time in the market, then it can be really bad. problem. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And the other, the other thing, of course, is diversification. You could have uh, one property in Brisbane, another one in Adelaide. So you've got some sort of uh, uh, diversification against risk there. So, yeah, yeah you good can arguments. Yeah. Time your markets differently and stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I think that kind of covers cheaper properties versus more expensive properties. You know, I, I probably came into this thinking that more expensive properties would perform better. 
And because, you know, people have more money, better socio-demographics, people investing more into renovations on their homes, I would assume that, okay, probably likely to see more capital growth in that area. But it's been really interesting that the opposite has been true. And it's definitely making me think and lean towards buying a cheaper property rather than a more expensive property. Yeah, yeah. But I, I would just caution investors to be careful, don't, don't aim too cheap. You, you could be buying in the middle of the desert, a uh, big <laughs> square kilometre of nothingness. So, uh, yeah, exercise some caution. With all of these sorts of insights, you, you've got to just combine a large number of them. You can't just focus on one thing and say, oh, that's it. That's going to be my strategy. I'm buying the cheapest property I can buy. No, uh, absolutely, absolutely yeah. not. And <laughs> I'm really glad that you brought that up because, you know, someone might watch this and say, okay, well, I'll just find the cheapest suburb in Australia and buy a property there. And I'm sure there's a lot of examples where cheap suburbs don't outperform the market as a whole, don't outperform more mm-hmm. expensive suburbs. This is just one data point to look at amongst yeah. many that we've talked about with Jeremy and talked about on this channel. And so, yeah, I'll use this, but also you need to have the underlying fundamentals as well of everything else that we could look at and talk about in these videos and suburb research that we do. So yeah, just take this one point, take it with a grain of salt, add it into your larger you know, data set, and then use that to help you make a better decision. Well, in the next episode, we're going to be talking about proximity to schools and amenities and shopping centers and things like that because people always tell you, you know, you need those sort of things in a suburb if you want to get good growth. So it'd be really interesting to see what the data says about that one and whether it backs it up. Before we go, Jeremy, um, obviously people can check out this article on select residential property. I'll link up to it down below, but where else can they find out about you or connect with the data sources that you have access to and the information you provide? Um, well, the, the data that I use for, for picking out suburbs um, would be on dsrdata.com.au. Uh, but if you go to the Select Residential Property website, you can see a suite of our products. Um, DSR Data is just one of them. There's, yeah, you can, yeah, knock yourself out. There's a lot of free stuff there, educational stuff, which is probably where, where investors need to start. Yeah, awesome. So go ahead, go to selectresidentialproperty.com.au. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for sharing this information. We will see you guys in the next episode. And until next time, stay positive.